I am a real low-tech guy uh, with a high-tech subject, uh, clinical pharmacist. Uh, a lot of you are pharmacists. Uh, I have my PowerPoint here, so... Uh, so let me tell you a little about myself. I've been a pharmacist a long time. I started working in a drugstore uh, before Abbey Road was released. So I go way back. Uh, uh, I was in hospital pharmacy up until the time I went to the mission field in 92, went to seminary, uh, ended up in the uttermost part of the world, which was uh, outer Mongolia. I have a testimony on that. Uh, and then I came back to the States and took my family to uh, East Africa, and we lived. Uh, when I got that phone call, they asked me, uh, the place I was going was three days out. And I said, well, what's three days out? And they said, you get your car, you drive three days out. Uh, I'm a retail pharmacist right now, and I use clinical pharmacy every day. I'm on the phone with those doctors saying, uh, this drug costs this guy, you know, $60 a month, but that comes out to be uh, a lot, uh, if you look at it per year, like $720. So I'm on the phone trying to get them to change therapies. Uh, and on the mission field, uh, these are my uh, PowerPoints. It's, if you're a clinical pharmacist, you know your diseases, you know your drugs. Uh, it's not a joke. This is real. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, doing research for this, I found the first clinical pharmacist, I think Galen is the father of pharmacy, the Greek uh, pharmacist. But the Good Samaritan is the first clinical pharmacist I could find, and that's in that short article in Luke uh, 10, 24 through 26, 36, somewhere in there. I know he's a clinical pharmacist because he saw the symptoms and he treated them correctly. And I knew he wasn't a doctor because Luke would have said he's a doctor because Luke was a doctor. And people say, well, how come Jesus didn't say he was a clinical pharmacist? And it's because Jesus knew that the term clinical pharmacist wasn't going to come around for another 1,900 years. <laughs> My uh, history as a uh, clinical pharmacist, uh, I can remember in the 70s, this was before streptokinase was stocked in pharmacies. It just came out. And an order came down. I was in the hospital, and it came down and said, DVT, streptokinase, C pharmacist. And I thought, did we discuss DVT? I don't remember discussing that in pharmacy school. That's deep vein thrombosis. Streptokinase wasn't in the PDR, and the only way you could get it at that time was to call what was then Smith, Klein, and French, and they would overnight it to you. And that goes back before it was used uh, in the ER. So I didn't know my uh, disease, and I didn't know my drug. And then uh, in the 80s, I went down to uh, Central America working on one of those week-long mission trips. And Dr. Stringer said, what's that uh, dose for albendazole for a uh, six-month-old? Uh, six and I thought, albendazole. Uh, I didn't know my drug. Uh, Later, I, I learned all about albendazole. I lived, I lived in, uh, on the mission field a while. So when you leave today, uh, you don't get a handout. You just have to write down, uh, this is real important. Know your diseases. Know your drugs. Because the, my first term on the mission field, uh, if you've read the book, Where There Is No Doctor, 
I had my own pharmacy, the best stock pharmacy in the country. And a lot of days there was no doctor, and people would come to me. And if I could get this part, I knew this part real well, I thought. Uh, my hand's about stopped shaking, so I can uh, do some other stuff. <clears throat> As, uh, most uh, most of y'all get, are interested in the short-term uh, missions, going as a short-term uh, pharmacist on a team. The number one reason it's so important to have a clinical pharmacist because you're going to have two doctors sitting in chairs, and there'll be one for the translator, one for the patient, and one for the doctor. It'll be in a schoolhouse. They won't have electricity, and the doctor's going to look out, and there are going to be two lines. And each of them are going to be over 100 yards long, and that's all they can see. And they know if they have to write the phrase, the name of the person, the birthday, and a little diagnosis, amoxicillin, 250 milligrams, number 31, TID, time 10 days, they can't do it. If they start at 9 o'clock in the morning, by 9.05, they're going to be AMOX, and that's all they're going to write. And as a clinical pharmacist, you're going to encourage them to put that birth date and diagnosis, and you take it from there. I took it from there and uh, sometimes even further. There was a great uh, lecture this morning by uh, Dr. Bernie on uh, getting ready for a short-term team. If you, if you heard that, everything in there, I agree with it. Uh, if you take that list of drugs for her formulary and you add Gent and IV ampicillin, plus the malaria drugs, plus the drugs for uh, schistosomiasis and ketamine, I ran a whole hospital. That was my formulary. I didn't have all the, uh, the excess drugs. So as you're getting ready for your short-term mission team, you pretend like it's a P&T committee. Now, I haven't been in American hospitals since 92 as a director of pharmacy. I used to do a lot of committee work, so... It, the terminology may change. It used to be called P&T, where you're working with your doctors to get that formulary real tight. And it's usually for economic reasons. So on your mission team, you will meet with, hopefully, your physicians. And if you uh, know this, this will come up. Uh, if you're going to Central America, you know albendazole is going to be on your list. So if, if you know that, and if you have to take one drug, take that one. We'll talk later about this. Uh, if you have to take two drugs, take albendazole and a fungal cream. Uh, you got it treated. Uh, I used to be an expert in malaria. I think somebody's going to be speaking at this uh, conference on malaria. Uh, before I got to the mission field, I did not know that drug, I mean that disease. And now I can say my family's had it more than the state of Kentucky. <laughs> uh, I know what it feels like. I know the drugs you take. Uh, I took chloroquine for five years. Does that ring a bell? Uh, that's a side effect. <laughs> a, little, a little humor there. <laughs> Besides having the long lines, you've got unfamiliar diseases. Your doctors don't treat some of these diseases in the States, and it's good to have somebody they can bounce off of. They've got um, medications they don't use in the United States or are not allowed in the United States. 
So you as the clinical pharmacist are going to be there with the data. And when I'm thinking about the data, if you have one of those cell phones that you can pick up, like uh, my, I had a, a PharmD uh, rotation student this summer, and she'd pick up her little phone, and there would be this stuff. And I thought, if she was in Kigoma, Tanzania, that would do her any good. She has to, you have to have a regular PDA or some kind of uh, book. So when you go on your trips, you've got to carry your education with you. A lot of people might get down there and they flip open and, you know, nothing flips up. And you can raise your hand any time. I don't know if I will answer the question. Uh, long lines, unfamiliar diseases, unfamiliar medications in limited quantities. If you've been on a trip, what you have on Monday in your clinics, not what you're going to have on Thursday. So that moxicillin may disappear, and you're going to have to go to a, a, a Bactrim. I can't say that word. I thought I wouldn't say brand names, but G Bactrim or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's my PowerPoint. That's uh, what it is as a clinical pharmacist. I was just going to tell some stories uh, about clinical pharmacy because when you get there, uh, you may go as a dispensing pharmacist. Things will change. Because when two doctors see two lines that are 100 yards long, and if you don't have enough nurses, they may pull somebody to be that third doctor. I've done that. And I chose to work with men with uh, joint pain. I felt comfortable doing that. And uh, I had my ibuprofen. And that's what I did that day. I was an ibuprofen doctor. That's it. <laughs> they got treated. I kind of understood what was wrong with them. I'm not a doctor, but I knew, uh, fairly well knew joint pain and I knew ibuprofen. And I felt comfortable with it. This morning you looked at a formulary that was 50 drugs. And I'm thinking, wow, 50 drugs. Let's get it down to 25. Uh, because when you uh, just setting up a pharmacy, uh, I had a hospital. I didn't have to worry about setting up my pharmacy. But when we went on a clinic, we carried around 15 drugs, and three of those were for malaria, and then uh, got your parasite drugs and uh, Bilharzia drugs. So you're only working with like 10 drugs. And it is good to carry a lot of one drug and zero of some drugs. Because if you have your albendazole, you're going to treat the 3,000 people you'll see that week. And if you have the phenyltoin over there, which may be uh, the first group I was with, we had phenyltoin. In the, and you may never use it, and depending on your philosophy on treating on long-term long stuff. Work on a formulary uh, with your physician. Again, knowing your drug, and knowing your diseases, what's there, and the drug. Any time you can eliminate something, eliminate it. It's nice to get on the field and have... A particular drug you may need, but if you're looking at doing like an 80-20 rule, treating 80% of these people, I always thought it was a 95, uh, treating 95%. Go with the majority short-term and not treat the rest. I have my own 10-drug formulary, and one of the drugs went in on the list this morning. I thought, wow, we're seeing uh, things different. Uh, excluding drugs for uh, uh, the specialty diseases like malaria and things. A case study, Honduras, 
1987 or 86. In my travel-on bag, I carried a 500-count tetracycline and a 1,000-count diphenhydramine. It was because my brother worked for what was Park Davis. My sister-in-law worked for what was SKF. We got albendazole in Honduras. The other 20 big uh, action packers we packed did not make it. So when you're thinking, if they have an infection, you have to go with tetracycline. And all the uses of uh, diphenhydramine, gosh, are so many. Well, one drug I always put on mine is promethazine uh, for nausea and vomiting. And uh, if, you, if you go online, just find the, the uses of this one drug. Uh, anything you can think of. It's uh, neurosis, uh, psychosis, and not, just, uh, not just the nausea, not just the runny nose, it's antihistamine. The list goes on. And these are approved, lists, uh, approved things. They're not... Uh, because I signed a waiver. I don't want to cover the approved stuff. I won't cover what I did in Mongolia. Uh, uh, so sometimes you have, to, uh, you have to practice good medicine, but if you, if you know your drug and a doctor needs something just for sleep, you know, and, you, and you don't have a diphenhydramine, and you're not going to take any controlled substances, uh, you're, you'll go with uh, a close drug like maybe promethazine. Just knowing your drugs. And knowing the extreme cases, you can use those drugs. Adjunct to pain with uh, promethazine, you can add it to other stuff. I worked in a hospital. We had um, imperidine. Our step-down drug was Tylenol. Nothing in between. Huh? Now, if you were a missionary and you were in pain, you came to my house. I had the, uh, I had the, uh, the Lortabs and the <coughs> other drugs, uh, which I brought from the States. Uh, again, a, a two drug. You can, you can you can do a clinic with two drugs. Uh, I know a nurse name was Kathy worked in Ghana, and she carried Neosporin. When she left, she knew what she was going to treat. Uh, triple, excuse me, triple uh, antibiotic ointment, and she knew the drug, and she did, had a great ministry with her husband. Question, which statin do you take to some of these countries? Great, you answered that one correctly. Uh, uh, in Africa, you didn't need a, I felt like you needed a statin because in Tanzania when I was there, the average lifespan was 42 years. I mean, I know that's a lot higher than uh, Botswana and some of those countries. But uh, As a clinical pharmacist, uh, you will hopefully be doing some counseling to your patients. Uh, and so you're going to have those labels printed in another language. And you can do this. You can point and do this. Or if you, because you're not going to get the translator. Your translators who can speak English and speak the other language go to the doctors, right? They don't, they don't go to the pharmacist. Uh, and I know I was in a unique situation since I uh, supposedly learned the language. Uh, I, I did my own uh, counseling, especially on the clinics. It's a chance to get out of the hospital. Budget. Budget's a big thing. Is you're sitting down with your P&T committee and you're planning stuff. Uh, it's, uh, it, that will drive your formulary. It's nice to have a... I ran a hospital with no cephalosporins at all. 
uh, we had, uh, just before we got uh, Cipro Floxin, we had the old Cipro, which is chloramphenicol. Uh, it, it killed everything. Uh, so older people may know that. Younger people don't know don't know that uh, that was our Cipro of the uh, uh, late 70s. Uh, any questions on anything? Yes? When you were treating, like, joints, you said, like, for the ibuprofen, how much of a quantity would you get? Even, on, uh, even if I was using a meloxicam, things like that, I would 30 days would be my max. And would you get 30 Tylenol? Uh, a PRN Tylenol? Yeah, you're only going to be given probably 15, 20. Well, uh, see, chronic is, what, two grams, two grams a day for so long. I assume, I don't know how many. I have to look. How many? Four grams? Yeah. Well, there's, there's some question on that. If you give a child 30 Flintstone vitamins, they will not make it home. You know, if they have iron in them, that could be an issue, too. But I was comfortable in dish, uh, dish, uh, giving out. Uh, 30. And in Tanzania, for women who were pregnant, we gave out 15 because we wanted to see them every two weeks, or my doctors did. And so we had them just a 14-day uh, supply. Yes, sir? Short term? Long term? Uh, as a, a full time? Uh, as working as a hospital? Oh, in a hospital, you have a clinic, people come back. Yeah, I was covering I was covering short-term stuff. Short-term, uh, you may want to treat a chronic condition. I know if they're going to stroke out on blood pressure and you get them by t- 10 days, but after 10 days, they're not going to go anywhere, probably. Yeah, I ran a clinic. We had people come in and got their uh, Aldamet, <laughs> you know, four times a day, came by every 30 days and got those drugs. Uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> What was uh, diabetes? I don't remember what it was. That's what we used in uh, Africa for diabetes. Yes, ma'am. You mentioned that you have a 10-drug formulary. Mine goes promethazine, acetaminophen, mabendazole, HCTZ. Uh, scratch the HCTZ. They were trading that for a steroid cream, amoxicillin, sulfatrim, and a fungal, uh, chlortrimetine, cimetidine, and a vodic ointment. I think that's my 10. Now, in Kigoma, uh, where I lived, uh, you'd have to add three. Malaria drugs, at least. Uh, at that time, we were using uh, Fansidar, quinine, and uh, uh, chloroquine. As I was leaving, we were changing over to other drugs. We had so much. Uh, in our area, chloroquine was still treating uh, malaria. And as, we, as I was leaving, uh, we locked up our uh, chloroquine. It's been six years since I've been living as a uh, missionary in a, another country.
promethazine, acetaminophen, albendazole, or mabendazole, steroid cream, moxicillin, sulfatrum, antifungal, chlorotrimeton, cimetidine, antibiotic. And that worked fine uh, in uh, outback Africa. Now, at my house, I had uh, brand name Rosephine, saved many a life, especially a missionary's life. Uh, my son had a ruptured appendix, so couldn't get a diagnosis. He went almost three weeks uh, living on that drug. Uh, had a plane come in, uh, and I had American surgeons, and nobody could say, we think he has appendicitis. And then when he got to Nairobi on the fourth day, they uh, took an ultrasound, and they said, look at all this stuff. Uh, and God just saved him, but it was, I was thankful that I had uh, that drug. I had Lortabs at home. Uh, when I was a, a missionary in Mongolia, to buy stuff, you went to a yard sale. Everything was yard sale when I first got there. And there was all laid on the ground. And Mr. Brunson comes down with a kidney stone. And Dr. Meese goes from booth to booth to booth to booth till he finds hydromorphone. <laughs> So that was a uh, do what you have to do sometimes to get the uh, the medication. But uh, Dr. Moose, he knew his uh, medical conditions and he knew what to look for. I was so thankful because I couldn't I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, some things you need to know about control drugs. If you're on a short-term team, don't leave home with them. If you've seen that uh, program, Locked Up Abroad. Uh, and if you try to bring anything, control drugs, back out of that country, watch Locked Up Abroad. <laughs> and if you make it to Miami, uh, look out for Locked Up in Miami. Uh, been there, uh, done that with groups. Uh, isn't it okay for you to take, like, medication that has your name? Oh, in a bottle? That's fine. Sure. Yeah. But I've had groups who had any problem as long as you ever had my name on it. Mm-hmm. Like something prescribed for me. If you don't bring a control in, we hit I uh, heard this this morning. If it's out of date, do not bring it in. Especially Tanzania. You'll do jail time. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I've seen them lock people up because they brought it in, they look at it, it's it's expired. Mm-hmm. And in Tanzania, expired, it's deadly. You don't do that. When I was in Mon- uh, Mongolia, NGO sent a literal uh, 40-foot container full of penicillin G injectable out of date with data that said it was good. And it cost them $20,000 to ship it back because the Mongols would not destroy it in country. It was out of date. So it's real important on out of dates. You just can't uh, take in those original containers and... Don't mess with the dates. It's not worth it. Uh, it's an insult to a lot of countries. Some countries, uh, when I look at the, uh, the diseases, I look at my drugs, I look at the uh, WHO list for that country. It's called the Essential Drug List. Uh, every country has one. We don't have one. Uh, but it's, uh, we may have one, right? FDA, that would be our Essential Drug List. Okay. Because when I was in Tanzania, and if you brought in like uh, a meprazole, it's not on the list. It's an illegal drug. Uh, 
Then, I mean, I work with groups. I got them in. Now, I, if, you live, if you know your contact person in, in the country, I was a, uh, a certified custom agent in Kigoma, Tanzania. So I brought in things. I did all my custom work. I filled out the 12-page document uh, to bring people in and bring their drugs in and didn't have a problem. Uh, but most of those drugs were on, on the list. If you know a little of the language, it goes so far in counseling. Uh, I saw one of the labels, a dolor, I think that's uh, pain in Spanish. Uh, it is so good to know that language, especially when your labels, you, you don't want to mess up. And you can't mess up in another country. If it's a, a one-time-a-day drug, it has to be one time on that label. So I'm a real big proponent of pre-printed labels. You go in the country the first day, you just pre-package them. Now, when I was a missionary and I had a team come in, my kids on one night a week, we would just prepackage drugs. So everybody got uh, 30 moxicillin 250. Everything's prepackaged. And when your doctors come in, it makes their life so much easier. They just write the word amoxil. And uh, I would be this close to my doctor's own clinic. As you saw the patient, I saw it. They had it. Mojiquatatu. I already got them one three times a day. You know, we're already moving them on. Uh, people who go, do y'all get uh, certified in that country short term? Do y'all? Some countries you have to. I, I know my country you do. You have to send in certification. Uh, uh, if you can get people to stamp them with stamps and crimp them with those things and when you, your copies, it goes through so much better. Uh, in Mongolia, I had a uh, Triceratops stamp. And, you know, if I could hit it on a document and smear it, it just looked so much better. Have another stamp. And uh, that, was a, that, uh, that was one of their dinosaurs because they have the eggs. But I always put it on there. And they, nobody, they just saw the stamp. And it's not a joke. It, it can help you. It helps you when you come in. All those drugs in your suitcase, you have your documentation with a stamp or something on it. It makes a difference. Those of y'all who, Absolutely. if you haven't been there. And MAP does one if, if you buy the MAP boxes. They, they have one. It's just a little gold seal with a raised stamp, but we use them for several groups in the past. I 100% agree. Not triceratops, but something similar. Something similar. T-Rex. T-Rex. Oh, T-Rex. Okay. Uh, I'm a, I have a BS degree, but my certificate from the state of Louisiana, which is three by four, it's, you know, it's a meter by a meter and a quarter, has doctor of pharmacy on it. So when you go to those countries, they like to see that uh, stuff like that. Uh, I would say I bought my <coughs> PharmD down in Central America, but that's a... <laughs> Good, a question at you. Um, what do you recommend if we're going to be in an area where chloroquine resistance is common, where you need to go for something other than chloroquine for malaria prophylaxis? If you're going to be there for a, you know for a period of time, uh, as far as prophylaxis, I think I, uh, the newer drugs. When I was there, uh, a lot of people took the mefaquine. I, I took it as a treatment. It works. So you took the mefaquine in the treatment dosage. Uh, yeah. A lot of time no, there? I took chloroquine. But if it's a chloroquine-resistant area. It, it was doing fine. <laughs> I went five years. I didn't get my... I hate... I, well, I did go actually five years. about. very uncomfortable. <laughs> I go back a little further. Okay. Uh, 
around 19, uh, no, 2003, probably 2004, the rules were changing. I left 2004. So when, when, the, when they changed, uh, we changed. We got rid of our chloroquine at the hospital. Just always go to the WHO website. Sorry. They tell you for each area of the world you're going to, they'll tell you what prophylaxis is acceptable and what's not. CDC does the same. The UK does the same. But yeah, a lot of people there is using the doxycycline, and it's cheap. Uh, but uh, a lot of the drugs are cheaper there. If you now, if I was traveling back, I would buy my drugs there. But uh, that's just me. Um, uh, when I would get a team out, I would always, if we had a pharmacist on the team, I always ask, especially if they're a hospital pharmacist, uh, can you make an IV? And uh, I had so many nurses say, oh, I can make an IV. And then I would let them make an IV. And we would start, uh, in rainy season, we started with rainwater. Uh, it sounds awful, but we had a uh, ionic filter and a pre-filter, and we uh, made purifi- uh, purified water, and we made our D5W normal saline. Probably won't be able to be called on to do that uh, on a a short-term mission trip, but when I tell people I know how to make an IV and it goes to the autoclave and then you have that uh, process where you uh, look uh, for particulate matter and stuff. So there's uh, stepping outside of your box. Uh, I've worked as a dental assistant. I've worked uh, as uh, as an optometry helper. Uh, I stretched myself. I can remember the day in Mongolia at Mongol MMPEX where I worked for the government, they came in and said, you're going to be making capsule medicine. You know, like uh, I knew what a capsule machine was because I've seen one uh, somewhere. And, you know, the next day I was making chloramphenicol in capsules. And I knew what QA was, so the first two batches I weighed every single capsule one at a time, thinking, this is neat. It's, It's actually working. I'm stretching myself. And on the trip, you'll probably be stretching yourself because uh, they're going to run short of somebody and they're going to put you as a uh, clinical person in a uh, field. As my voice holds out, I'm going to tell uh, uh, how God works on the mission field. At Kigoma Hospital, uh, we were three days out. I got my drugs from Kenya every two months, and we were running low on genomycin. We had a lot of burn patients. That was one of our burn drugs, genomycin IV, ampicillin IV. And we were on our last vial. And, it, and, it, and they used it. And before the nurse came back for the next dose, Red Cross came up to me and said, I got two do- two boxes of drugs that are going to be expired in three months. Can you take them? And they were genomycin. That, that, to me, that's a miracle. I can get. Them, I can talk about those. And I thought uh, it happens on the mission field. I can remember on a short-term trip when those 20 boxes of drugs came in. Tony, my nurse and pharmacy assistant, started vomiting, and he needed some promethazine. And I stuck my hand in one box, and there were you know, there was no labels on the boxes. And the first container was that drug. It's just, uh, I think sometimes God works out there more than he does here. He probably doesn't. It's just the way I see it. Uh, in Mongolia, I ran a clinic in my house. Uh, Christians would bring friends who needed treatment because there was no treatment in the city. If you went to the hospital, there were no drugs. 
uh, missionary, uh, Stan Kirk, and his wife were in the hospital, and I carried the IV fluids, the IV tubing, the light bulbs, everything. So it was, uh, there was nothing. So you had to supply everything to the hospital. So in my house, uh, a man came, and his wife had a hurt knee. And I gave him uh, probably ibuprofen. I think that's uh, the, the drug I had in that category. And a year later or so, I was picked up by the KGB. They were, they were still out there at that time. Uh, and they picked me up for having an uh, illegal Bible study. Um, if your Bible study was registered, or if your church was registered, it was okay. But we weren't a church. We were a Bible study. And I got called into the uh, local KGB office. And my accuser was there, and he had wanted money. And as I went in, uh, the, the guy in this part of the KGB came in. He has the long jacket. If you could imagine Mongolia, it's cold. And he has the Russian hat. And after the San Beno, Monahansano, and all the greetings, he said, you remember my wife? She had the hurt knee, and you gave her the medicine. And the guy, my uh, accuser's head just dropped down on the table because he knew that was it. And I thought... Uh, so nice to have a uh, play clinical pharmacist at my house, and then a year later, not even knowing the guy's name, desperately needing that guy, and God stuck him right in my path. I got another st- uh, a story. Uh, in every in every passport in Mongolia is the name Azar. He's a, he's the head of the police. He is a rough character. Uh, he shows it, but his brother needed medical care at one time, and I supplied him with all the, the needs his brother needed. What it was, he was having surgery, and they didn't have any gauze, rubber gloves, everything. So I supplied everything. And we had a missionary couple came in, and they neglected to do their uh, residency work in order, and they couldn't get out of the country, and she had a cyst on her uh, ovary. And they couldn't get her passport signed, and their translator couldn't help them. And I went with them. And in the background, there was Azar. And I said, Azar! And he started speaking in Russian, because I look Russian. And the lady started stamping the passports. And it was because I was using those clinical pharmacy skills outside the box at my house. <laughs> uh, my local doctor in uh, Athens, Alabama, sometimes reminds me I'm no longer a doctor. And I have to uh, be under his care. I know uh, I'm not a high-tech guy, but when you're going there, you're meeting with your committee, if you cover this real well, especially in those little kid doses, I mean, uh, albendazone, you know, in in Africa we gave him six tablets, one twice a day, three days. And Here, uh, you can give him one or two, and that's fine, right? He's been out there, one or two, we gave six, works. and that's, a, that's the life-changing drug uh, where I was, that and uh, getting rid of the fungus. Any questions? I hope some of you will be called and go full-time. It is a experience. My daughter spent three years in a Muslim country after I came back. She said because of the excitement. It's 99.99% Muslim that borders Iraq. And uh, I tell people the reason she thought it was so exciting, because one night I had my uh, pistol in the back of my pants, and me and her were laying in the backyard listening to the machine gun fire go off in the front. And I thought, you know, if you do that it, uh, in your, with your kids, it builds that sense of uh, 
total resist, uh, total reliance on God. I mean, you have to. And uh, I can have, I got other machine gun stories that whew, <laughs> you don't want to go to them. Uh, when my wife tells these, people cry. They do. They're, they're so sad. I'm thinking, here we were panicking, you know, and the gun's going off here. And after about five minutes, one of us had to go see if they were in the front yard or the backyard. <laughs> and uh, I lost. I went and looked. Uh, yes, ma'am. I went as I went as a pharmacist. Okay, God, I think God called me in this profession. I, I just love it. So I had to go as a pharmacist missionary. I did go to seminary. I did I did plant churches. My wife I graduated uh, from seminary. I, I didn't graduate. I just went and got a minimum. I got you know got New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I went to Mongolia just as a, they didn't allow missionaries. I had to get in. I got a job with the government. I did manufacturing and repackaging for the whole country out of one unit. So uh, everybody in every clinic in the country got moxicillin, 250 milligrams, one three times a day, seven days. Everybody got that. That's the way it went out. So we did the repackaging. But on the weekend, I ran. I, I did church planning. And you just run into so many people, so many needs are going to come to your house. Oh, okay. So you kept medicines at your house? Oh, I, I had the whole thing. I knew how to lay out a pharmacy. Where did you get your medicines from? I brought, I, uh, my pharmacy came from me. I bought it myself. I had a good, there, there, there was literally nothing when I got there. Literally nothing. My wife got amoebas and literally nothing, you know. Yeah, I do flagell on one of those rare drugs that I had to have flown in or brought in by plane, not a special delivery. And I can't remember what the name of it was, but she was sick for a long time. There was nothing there. I lost 50 pounds my first six months because I didn't have a car and the weather was cold. And I shopped Monday through Friday. Every afternoon I shopped. That was my, that was my job, <laughs> looking for food. I had five kids, so I had to feed them. What's that? What year were you there? Uh, 93 to 96 in Mongolia. That was the warm winters. It only hit 40 below one time. Uh, so uh, you, you you can adapt. Any other things? Uh, I hope you. I hope I uh, encourage you to go to it on a short-term trip. They're just so much fun, uh, so exciting. You get to see the big spiders, you know. And the, <laughs> That's why I don't. I don't. I won't go back to Central America. I got these spiders. Uh, in my yard, we killed a uh, black mamba in a boomslang in Africa. So that's a, a different. Yes, ma'am. Do you have any suggestions for pharmacy students? Going up as. Going either permissions. Or... Full time or. Uh, Go. Uh, I had a, a, uh, I was a preceptor for a, a student out of uh, West Virginia, and he said no other student probably saw a lion when they were on clinic. Huh? 
out there. Just you know, I mean, we were a couple hundred miles from the Serengeti, but to see a line on clinic, and we had a lot of uh, sample drugs that doctors brought in. We had a, we, my short-term teams are usually two doctors at work the hospital, and they brought in a lot of uh, uh, more modern medicine. And he got to substitute all day long. You know. My doctors, we only had some metadine, so when they wrote uh, whatever we had, uh, generic, uh, wasn't a protonic, excuse me, wasn't a, wasn't a generic thing, but whatever we had, he got to substitute, and he thought it was so great. Every prescription. That was his job, to get rid of these drugs, because my Tanzanian doctors didn't know the drugs. And my American doctors sometimes couldn't remember that, you know, we got a supply of these in, let's use them up. So go and you can just stretch yourself. I know in clinical pharmacists, my students always say they made rounds with the doctors, and I thought, I did that, and I thought, I'm not getting anywhere. We're just making rounds. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that was my view on it. I know you people in education. <laughs> now, in the States, I, they would call me in the room, and I'd... They, they would, I know the educators, and you probably see it different, but... Um, uh, I would let them make them rounds, but when I made rounds, I like to make rounds with the volunteer doctors because they would always say, what's available? And then you could say, here's my little list of what we have in the hospital. What were your printed, favorite printed references? You said electronic doesn't do. So what? Oh, I just, I'd use the, uh, 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 the facts and comparison one. That's the one I, I used. Uh, before we had PDAs, I used the Franklin Press books. I had a uh, Merck and a PDR on that book. And sadly, I got my first uh, Franklin electronic book because Dr. V was murdered by, he was, he was a missionary. We're undercover missionaries in those spots, and he was murdered uh, probably by a, a government. And I got his book, and that's why I started using electronic books. That's... Uh, uh-huh. Uh, it's kind of a little off topic, but it's related to patient compliance. Uh, a lot of the patients that I work with aren't literate, so trying to get them to take medications like chronic disease medication, like an antihypertensive for long periods of time, I need to make sure that they understand what they're taking. And I wondered if you have any ins- and how to take it properly. I was curious if you had any insights about or tips on how to work with patients to make sure that they're the, taking. The same thing you do in the states. You tell them it's going to be long term. And you take it once a day and tell them what it's for. And Do you have any tips for, for example, if you have a patient that comes in and they're taking, they leave with three different medications. One of them is two times a day, and they have to take it with food. One of them, do you use a chart? Do you use pictures? My labels had the label and had those pictures. Uh, okay. You know, it has the uh, sunset, the sunrise, the little moon. Those are good. Uh, but I always told my patients. And they, they could remember I don't know if I remember, but you, you got to try. <laughs> well, no, we had a lot of people coming back and getting their hydrochlorothiazide out every month, their Alamed every month, uh, um, diabetic drugs. They would come back every month. Yes, ma'am. And the big question always is, which medicine do I take first? 
because they're going to take this one and they're going to take this one. So you always want to get the antibiotic first and then seven days later. This is real. This is how it works. Seven days later, they'll start on the, uh, the next drug and then they take the next. That's just the way it's going to be. And uh, in our hospital, we, we didn't have computers, so we, we had our drugs lined up. And if you gave me six scripts, I could go one, two, three, four, five, six, and hand them out. And they, were, they had all the labels on it. didn't have your name on it. You know, if it was just one person, I did it that way. If, it had, if there was two children, then you had to stop and put the name on it. But uh, that's the way we ran it. And, ran it, uh, and that's, that's uh, very good. It's good medicine. You know, uh, on trips, a lot of people may think it's going to be, uh, you're going to put somebody in the pharmacy who's not a pharmacist or just in there. Uh, you have to practice good pharmacy in these countries when you go. You can't, uh, I mean, I joke about it and it's fun, but uh, bottom line is you got to get the, uh, you think you're going to be in trouble here. <laughs> you're going to be in trouble there. Uh, so you have to practice good uh, pharmacy. I can remember a lot of times after we'd make a batch of IV fluids and there'd be particulate matter. And I, gosh, God, we made 60 of these bottles and we only make 120 a week and have them, you know, open them up, pour them out. Uh, This way it is. I hope to hear from y'all uh, later that y'all went to some certain countries and y'all were out there. By the way, uh, when I left Tanzania, I left a 45-bed hospital, had a nice surgery suite, had the only air conditioner probably uh, this side of the country. We had an ultrasound machine, had an X-ray unit, and I, I locked it. So if you feel God calling you to open a hospital, there's a little clinic off to the side, and there's this huge hospital, uh, but it's all locked. If you feel called that God wants you to uh, direct your path to unlock that, uh, those hospital doors, I know a hospital. And it's right where David uh, met uh, Dr. Livingston. It's uh, between Ujiji and Kigoma, Tanzania. Uh, the weather's great, great fishing, right on the lake. Uh, life of, it's always 87 degrees Monday through, uh, Monday through Monday. It's just great. But there is a hospital there that needs a long-term person, two long-term people to make a commitment. If you want to stand around and talk, you can. You're free to go. I hope you enjoyed it.